that soothing, familiar sound that many Muslims grew up with, watching millions of people dressed in white circumambulating around the Kaaba at Hajj. What they're saying, لبيك اللهم لبيك, لبيك لا شريك لك لبيك, إن الحمد والنعمة لك والملك لا شريك لك, means, Allah, I will answer your call, you have no partner in worship, to you, praise, blessings, and sovereignty. Hajj falls during the Hijjah, the 12th month in the Islamic calendar. The annual pilgrimage itself is fard, or mandatory, for every able-bodied, financially capable Muslim at least once in their lifetime. It is no wonder then that this event is so important for practicing Muslims and is considered an ambition, a dream to them. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Nada Al-Tahar. In this episode, we're hearing from a Muslim woman who tells us all about her experience at Hajj, her first time seeing the Kaaba, and what lessons she took with her from Hajj to her life in Egypt. But before we start, if you want to get all the latest episodes as soon as they come out, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. In Islam, deeds are as good as their intentions. And Hajj begins with the act of ihram, the intention to perform it. This is reflected most clearly in the white garb that men wrap around themselves just before entering the Masjid al-Haram the Grand Mosque of Mecca. Class, nationality, and wealth fade away as pilgrims become equals, and piety and humility take over. And so begins the journey. Every aspect of Hajj is symbolic and meaningful. 30-year-old Noha Hassan can attest to that. Some of those feelings she experienced during Hajj a few years ago have stayed with her to this day. Here's Noha. So uh, my dad and my mom did Hajj before because my dad for some for a few years used to live in Saudi and he invited my mom and they did their Hajj. And as you know, for all Muslims, it's like you need to do it at least once in your life. And my dad find it very important just to make sure his entire smaller family can afford it and do it while they can, you know, physically able, uh, financially able. And he believed like this is one of the responsibilities as a father, like he pays for your education or for your marriage. And he also want to make sure that he provide for your hedge expenses. Noah and her family had done Umrah several times. It is a smaller version of Hajj performed all year long. In 2017, one of Noah's sisters was pregnant and couldn't go to Hajj when the family decided. This is a place where we love to be. Uh, we feel at peace and relaxed. We come back very happy. So that was like the entire family decision. Let's do it even when my my other sister is sitting home. For my other sister, she was completely fine with it. She was almost jealous that she cannot go at that point of time. And my dad did the most adorable thing. He saved like, um, let's say we paid $1,000 for each one of us to do Hajj. So he kept the same amount of money in, in a bank account for my sister so once her kid is, is older and she can go and perform Hajj, she has the money to do it later. And that was like a good deal for everyone. Your dad sounds like such a fair man and a great problem solver. Talk to us about your preparations. For us, by the time we did Hajj, we, we did already like three different Umrahs. So we were very familiar with the weather, the walking distance, the rituals we have to make. So we were all about comfort, right? So we tried to figure out 
clothes that's comfy. We don't care about color. We prefer the black color because you blend in with the rest of the people. Some people prefer the white color because of the sun. So you don't feel as warm. But for myself, my mom and my sister, my mom is like, um, she, she was 55 back then. So the three of us, we were having our black abayas. We had multiple ones, cotton ones, of course, because of the weather. And we had multiple comfy shoes for long distances because the issue is during Hajj, this is the highest season of Saudi Arabia. And in Mecca, there is minimum 2 million people at the same place, which is a lot of people. So you always prefer to walk. You don't take a bus. You don't take a cab. It will take forever to get you from one point to another. So you always walk from your hotel to Kaaba, to the Masjid Haram al-Makki. Or you walk to the supermarket or anywhere you want to go, you just walk. And also with Hajj, you have some rituals that makes you actually walk because you do the tawaf multiple times and then you do the Arafat, uh, you stand on Arafat or you go to Mina. So you need to make sure you are very comfy. So what about when you get there? What were the most notable moments for you? Okay, so uh, very quick background. Uh, when I went to Hajj, and this is something that I really want to talk to you about, is what's really great about Hajj or Umrah in general is, and even praying, it's God who is inviting you to come, right? So every time you stand up and pray or you go to Umrah or you do Hajj, it's basically an invitation and it's never you choosing to go and do this action. And this was exactly the case for me because for Hajj, 2017 was one of the hardest years that I've been through and I had no intention whatsoever to go for Hajj. If my family did not decide to go that year, I, I would be completely fine with that. You know, I would say, okay, let's go next year. But subhanAllah, when it happened and I went there, I felt like this is God inviting me to his own place and making me feel okay, you know, releasing the stress of the year. And for me, it was like more of a transitional phase between what's before 2017 and what's after it. And that's why when I went there, I was like rarely prepared. Like my sister, I have two sisters, the one who was pregnant in Egypt, and I have a second sister who was with me. She is a year and a half older. She was super prepared. She knows exactly what to do, where to do dua. This is a very good place to do the dua. This is where we have to go and do the Fajr prayer. She was super prepared. For me, I was just honestly reading this small booklet they give you with all the rituals, and I was following through, you know. So I tried to copy my sister, to be honest, at this point of time, until I started getting into the mood and feeling like part of a larger group of people doing the rituals. So I did my first Umrah when I was 15 years old, maybe 15 or 16. And oh my God, I remember the first time I saw Kaaba and everyone told like no one can prepare you for that everyone tells you how amazing this feeling is and not to make any comparisons but when you hear about the pyramids and then you see it the first time or Turifal and you see it the first time and you get surprised how different sizes and proportions things are but for Kaaba it was very different because for some reason um myself I started crying you know right away I just saw it and you go like in a tunnel when you get into the Masjid Makki and you go inside, you go like in a tunnel and all at once you just see it in front of you. So it's not like you see it from far away and you keep getting closer. It's just it appears to you all of a sudden and something kicks in your heart. For me, I started crying and I remember very well people telling me the first time you see Kaaba, 
you have a dua that will be accepted no matter what that is. And you keep preparing, writing it down, making sure you remember which dua you want to save. But the thing is, once I saw Kaaba, I had a completely random dua that I never used. It was there in my heart and in my mind and over and I started saying it and I felt like, okay, this is God's choice for me what to say first time in front of Kaaba. But every single time, I've been like six times till now, and every single time I see Kaaba, there's something that happens in your heart. There's some movements. It feels like you are seeing your passed away grandmother, you know, someone you love so hard, so dearly, you didn't see for a long time. And all of a sudden you just saw this person. You feel so happy and at peace and grateful for some reason, you know. Um, it's always emotional. It never fades away, really. What did you take away with you from Hajj? Did your life change afterwards? If so, can you tell us how? That's a very, very good question because at this specific point, when I was doing Hajj, I felt like, okay, I'm doing it. And I was not fully like, I didn't feel like a, a super change in me. And when I was looking around me, I find people who are crying so hard, being so emotional and They have been waiting for this their entire life, you know, that's their dream coming true. And my mistake is I used to compare myself to those other people and asking myself, what's wrong with you? You are doing the same thing, why you are not feeling that hard? But honestly, when I get back home, I figured it out, you know. So for me, big part of Hag was surrendering, right? You follow God's rules and you are doing what's, what you have been asked. Because you love God and you you surrender. And that was my main issue in life before Hajj. Because I was so much in control and I wanted to keep control. And that, that messed up everything. So for me, Hajj was like a practice to lose control and surrender. And after Hajj, this is what I tried to maintain in my life. So I felt like God is giving me this practical exercise, like go, lose control, believe in me, I'll take care of you. And that's exactly what's been happening since then. So that, that's the key thing I can feel after Hajj, honestly. Thank you, Noha, for opening up to us and really sharing one of the most meaningful experiences of your life. This episode was produced by Dua Farid and Arthur Edison, and I'm Nadal Tahir. Remember to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this one, please pass it along so that if you don't know about Hajj, you can learn. And if you do know, you can find inspiration.